0: And the people of God said, amen. 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 It's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord just one more time. Uh, I never take it lightly that God has given you and me another opportunity to worship him today in spirit and in truth. Uh, I'm so glad today that uh, God's mercies are new every morning, uh, that he never gives us leftover mercies, and I'm so glad today that His grace is always sufficient. And your presence here today is a testimony uh, that His grace is always sufficient. Uh, the va- very fact that you're here this morning means that you are a success story. Amen. Amen. The devil didn't want you to make it here this morning, but you made it. And for that alone, you ought to give God a hand clap of praise, amen? Amen, amen. We are on a new series, the third part of this series. We've been looking at the I Am statements of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John. And uh, John is making a very declarative statement uh, when he uh, captures Jesus making these seven I am statements. In essence, he's saying that Jesus is God. Uh, Jesus is saying that he is God. And so as we look at this third one, I am the gate, uh, I want us to uh, uh, think about the theological backdrop of this, and we're going to talk a little bit about chapter nine as well, and I want to thank Zawadi for reading the scripture so well. That gives me a longer runway to preach. <laughs> Amen, somebody. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're, uh, we're gonna look at this passage. First of all, I just want us to understand that as we, as we talk about these I Am Statements and the, this, this series is joining Jesus, but in order to join Jesus, you got to know him. Uh, you can't just know about him, Uh, you can't just know of him. Uh, You've got to know him intimately and personally for yourselves because you cannot join Jesus if you don't know Jesus intimately and personally. And so this walk of discipleship, this journey of walking with Jesus uh, is not just about being on mission with him, but as we are on mission with him, we get to know who he really is. And so this passage here is just another, uh, another indication of who Jesus is. Uh, before we get into chapter 10, I want us to understand the background because one of the things we see here in our commitment to join Jesus in his mission to reconcile all people in, unto himself the first thing we notice is that in chapter 9, uh, we find Jesus getting into some trouble because he has healed a blind man. And uh, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to join Jesus, just know, just know this, that you're going to get into some trouble sometimes because you're about reconciling all people unto himself, into Jesus. And so Jesus wants you to join him in that. But know this, it's not gonna always be easy. There are gonna be some challenges. And, uh, but know this as well, that Jesus is with us. He promises never to leave us, and so he's with us as we are on mission with him. In chapter nine, Jesus uh, heals a man on the Sabbath, a blind man, and the story goes with, this blind man gets his sight, and uh, someone asked, asked him, who gave you your sight? And he, obviously he's excited he, and he shares with uh, those who had seen him at, at the temple and he said, the man named Jesus gave me my sight. And they're questioning him because they, they're, somebody said, well this, may, this is not that guy, he looks like him but that's not the guy. And he says, I am the one who Jesus gave sight. I am the one who was at the temple. So they bring this man to uh, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the day. And they begin to cross-examine this blind man and ask him again, who gave you your sight? I said, now I just told you once and I'm going to tell you again, Jesus, the man you call Jesus, gave me my sight. And So they didn't, believe the blind man who has his sight now. So they called his parents up. And his parents said, he's of age. Why don't you ask him? Yes, he was blind. He was born blind. But he has his sight now. Why don't you ask him? So they cross examine him again. He said, I'm not telling you again. I am the one. Jesus gave me my sight. And so the Pharisees get upset with this, man and it says that he's excommunicated from the temple because they begin to ask him are you a follower of Moses? Are you a follower of Moses or are you a follower of Jesus? And, and he just wants, wants to be very clear that I was blind but now I see and that's all I know right now. And so they excommunicate him from the synagogue. They excommunicated him because he did not say the right thing. And he was a testimony of what Jesus had done. And so Jesus reconciles this man into the flock. And really chapter 10 is an indictment on the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Because they are excommunicating people who are supposed to be a part of the flock. They are mistreating, mistreating and exploiting the poor, those who are sick. And their theological position was, if you're sick, then somebody has been sinning. Your parents have sinned. If you're sick, if you're blind, somebody has sinned. And so that was their theological position, but Jesus said, I, Jesus came to reconcile those individuals who were marginalized, those who were left out, those who were locked up, The least of these, Jesus went around the dusty roads of Jerusalem, bringing those who into the flock because the Pharisees thought that they had the authority to say who was on the inside and who was on the outside. Uh, They thought that they had the authority because they, uh, by when we look at this passage, we see that they are considered shepherds as well, but they have misused their spiritual leadership responsibilities by making the decision of who's on the outside and who's on the inside. The rich for them were on the inside. And so brothers and sisters, I want us to understand this backdrop. It's also, there's another theme, an Old Testament theme that runs through chapter nine and chapter 10 and that is Exodus, I mean, Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 talks about uh, religious shepherds and political shepherds and how they have exploited the sheepfold, and they are indicted by Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is upset, and so we see this theme running through chapter nine and chapter 10. And also there's a, there's a feast taking place called the Feast of Dedication, the Feast of Hanukkah, uh, which is a commemoration of the Maccabean revolt. Uh, during the intertestamental period, the Maccabean brothers uh, wanted to restore Israel and restore the temple. And so uh, they, they led an insurrection, they led a, a revolt against the Syrian empire, and they were successful because Antiochus Epiphanes had desecrated the temple by putting pigs on the altar. And the Maccabean brothers and the Jewish people were so upset that they led a revolt and restored order by building the second temple in Israel. And so that's the backdrop, brothers and sisters, of this text. And and Jesus is right there in the winter of Keslev, between November and December. And Jesus is present during the Feast of Dedication. Jesus is present and... Jesus responds to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day and say, hey, you, you've excommunicated this man, but I, I'm going to welcome him into the fold. And so in the latter part of chapter 9, we find Jesus, he has given this man his sight physically, and then he gives this man his sight spiritually. He restores him He saves him, he welcomes him into the fold. And there we find in chapter 10 uh, the indictment that Jesus gives toward the religious leaders. But also, I want us to understand also that there is a, a theme that runs through chapter 10 and John is very clear on this motif of the shepherd and the sheep. Uh, That the shepherd has an intimate relationship with with the sheep. Uh, That the shepherd uh, is, he knows the sheep very well. And so here in chapter 10, we find Jesus explaining to his hearers uh, this relationship that he has. And also by contrast, he shows what a good shepherd looks like. And he shows what a bad shepherd looks like. And he contrasts himself or compares himself with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders of the day. And so Jesus says, this is what a good shepherd looks like. And this is by contrast what a a bad shepherd looks like. You have to understand that the shepherd, the term, uh, this image of the shepherd was used religiously as well as politically. So here in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, very truly I tell you, Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. First point I want to make here is that a good shepherd follows protocol. A good shepherd follows protocol. In other words, the good shepherd follows what has been established. He enters in by the gate, by the door. And so Jesus says this is what a good shepherd does. The good shepherd follows protocol and we see this in Jesus' life that he's always following following protocol. Uh, When he is baptized by John, John says, John the Baptist says, I should be baptized by you. But Jesus said, no, no. No, no, it, it's, 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 it's sufficient that uh, we, we've got to fulfill Scripture, so I want you to baptize me. You find Jesus following protocol all through Scripture, even when he is tested by, uh, by Satan in the wilderness. And every time Satan propositions him and says, if you are the Son of God, command this, command that, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's following protocol. And then some wanted to know, by what authority, Jesus, do you do all of these miracles? And Jesus said, I only do those things that my Father tells me to do. If my father says don't do it, I don't do it. If my father says do it, I do those things that are in keeping with the voice and what my father commands me to do. Jesus is consistently following protocol. By contrast, we find Jesus saying that anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, he's talking about the relig- religious leaders of his day. Uh, that they did, not, they did not have the sheep, the, the, their best interests at heart, and that they would enter in from another way. You know, I had an opportunity, I had an opportunity, my wife and I went to Victoria, Canada years ago, and we went to this uh, winery, uh, uh, and right there at the winery there was a fence and there was a sheepfold, a sheep pen, and there was a herd of sheep on the other side of this seven-foot fence. And I was intrigued by the sheep, and so I walked closer and closer to the fence, and uh, I started calling their names, and they just ate and looked up at me and said, this guy is crazy. (laughs) They just kept eating, and they looked up at me, and I kept trying to get one to come to the fence. And one of the gentlemen who, who worked uh, at the winery came up to the fence and, and he grabbed a, an apple and he pressed it down and, and made it edible for the sheep. And he said, you have to understand, sheep, uh, they, they, their digestive system, their, their teeth are not tough. And so he broke down the apple and he called the sheep to him. He called the sheep to him and they made their way to the fence. And he began to... Feed them now. They didn't. Rec- they didn't know my voice because I was a stranger. But they knew him. They had a relationship with him because obviously he had fed them before. Now, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that uh, when God calls us, that God calls us sheep, as men and women, as Christians, that we're called sheep. And the nature of sheep. First, pro- the first. Uh, Nature characteristic of a sheep is that they're dumb (laughs) Amen somebody (laughs) They're dumb They're directionless They can't see Uh, Sheep Have nothing to be desired I thought about that because you know there, there's there's no football team, there's no basketball team that's after sheep. Even the dolphins have their own team. But you know when I think about the fact that. Jesus refers to us as sheep. It declares our utter dependence on Jesus, on the shepherd. Yes, we are dumb. We are directionless. And brothers and sisters, I don't care whether you have a PhD or a master's degree, Jesus says you're still sheep. (laughs) (laughs) Don't care if you have a high IQ, You're a millionaire. Jesus says you're still sheep. I think it's interesting brothers and sisters that we are considered sheep. The good thing about sheep is that they know the shepherd. They know who the shepherd is. They know the shepherd's voice. That's the beautiful thing about sheep. They follow the shepherd's lead. Jesus is indeed a good shepherd and he follows protocol. And so he's worthy to be our shepherd. He's worthy to be the one who leads us and guides us. And so a good shepherd follows protocol. Not only that, a good shepherd provides for his sheep. Look at verses three and five, three through five. He says here in verse three, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. What a beautiful picture here, what a beautiful expression. When we go back to Palestine and the Palestinian shepherd and every shepherd had at least 100 sheep within their sheepfold and within the community, that that shepherd lived in, it may have been many shepherds and the sheep were in the fold with other sheep. But when the shepherd woke up in the morning and he would call, he would go to the sheep fold, he would go go there and he would call the individual names of all his sheep. And they would make their way to the gate and he would lead them out. And every shepherd had sheep and, and every shepherd would call the names of his sheep and there they would make their way and progress out of the sheepfold. The text tells us that the sheep hear his voice, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I heard Jay Vernon McGee, McGee, the radio Bible teacher, He's gone home to be with the Lord now, but Jay Vernon McGee tells a story about when he went to Israel and he was leading a tour and he saw uh, this shepherd behind his sheepfold. And he said, all these years, he's been talking about the shepherd going ahead of the sheep and leading the sheep. And so he asked one of the guys who was a, an assistant tour guide and he said, what what? What's up with this? Why is this shepherd behind the sheep? He says, that's not a shepherd, that's a butcher. (laughs) So he was pushing them to be slaughtered. But a shepherd goes ahead of the sheep and leads them down treacherous roads, leads them through valleys and mountains and goes ahead of them and protects them and guides them down uncharted territory. That's what a good shepherd does. Good shepherd provides, makes sure that they have all the food and substance, substance that they need, and a good shepherd protects. And we find this in this text as well that there's there's a sense that the shepherd assumes the responsibility to protect the sheep and provide for the sheep. It reminds me of this this mother, wife and I were at a restaurant and we saw this mother talking to a friend of hers just outside the door of the restaurant. And she had a little toddler with her. And that toddler kept trying to get away from his mother and every time he tried to get away she just held his hand a little tighter but as she kept talking to the woman the toddler finally pulled away and he started running warp speed toward the parking lot and the mother saw a car coming around the toddler didn't see it and sooner than at once quicker than right now that mother went toward her child and grabbed the child by the arm and picked him up and put him in her shoulder on her shoulders. And I thought about that and I said, you know that's the way God does us. Sometimes we we don't know what's good for us. We don't know that we're running in harm's way and God in his maternal nature grabs us and pulls us up and puts us in his, on his shoulder. And there have been times in our lives that God has protected us from danger seen and unseen. He is a good shepherd that protects and he provides can i get an amen in here so a good shepherd provides and protects the other thing we see in this text is that in that sheepfold and this is where we see where jesus begins to talk about being the gate now there are two images here jesus There's the imagery of a shepherd, but there's also the imagery of a gate. And Jesus in this metaphor, in this this figure of speech, refers to himself as a shepherd and as the gate. He's both. And and the way Jesus explains this is that when, when when we go back to that Palestinian community and we see that that gate and we see uh, that wall that has been built to protect the sheep from thieves and robbers and bandits, we see also that the shepherd, the shepherd had a tendency that especially at nighttime, he would lay across the gate, he was the gate. And so the shepherd at nighttime, he would make sure that he was there and that he was awake and he would lay himself across the opening of the door and the gate, so he was the door and the gate. He did that to protect the sheep. He, he did that to make sure that thieves would not come in from that opening, but they would often try to come the other way and so the shepherd had to stay awake all night to make sure that the sheep were protected. And isn't that what Jesus does for us? He says he he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for the sheep. He protects us. And this is what this passage is telling us, brothers and sisters, that I know, you know, we, we have alarms in our homes, but really only Jesus can protect us. There's a lot going on in our society, there's a lot of earthquakes taking place and really Jesus is the only one that can protect us. And what the children of Israel didn't understand, they didn't understand because really brothers, they were trying to make Israel great again. (laughs) Amen somebody. (laughs) And Jesus did not fit the bill. He didn't come from the right pedigree. He came from the other side of the tracks. His father was a carpenter. His mother was a peasant woman. And when the religious leaders of Jesus, they begin to look at Jesus and say, well, he's too young to be our leader. He's too young. He He doesn't look right. And so by their theological interpretation of Jesus, They felt like Jesus was not the one that God had sent. And so they were trying to make Israel great again apart from the Messiah. And they were trying to say, determine who was on the inside and who was on the outside. Now to make Israel great again is a good good slogan. But the only problem with that As far as God is concerned, and it's all throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that if you really wanna make Israel great again, you gotta include the poor. If you really wanna make Israel great again, you gotta include foreigners. If you really wanna make Israel great again, you gotta include immigrants. If you really want to make Israel great again then you 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 got to treat children like they are created in the image of God and not pack them up in a cage like they're beasts. <clears throat> Dr. King said that we have allowed the means by which we live to outdistance the ends for which we live. In other words, the means by which we live have become the ends in themselves. The money that we have has become an end in itself. The jobs that we have have become an end in itself. The homes that we live in has become an end in itself. The political systems that we ascribe to has become an end to it, in, in, unto itself. And really, political systems only supposed to be a means to a desired end for the healthiness of our democracy. Yeah. The children of Israel really want to make Israel great again. If we want to make our country great again, we got to include the fact that there are black sheep, there are brown sheep, there are white sheep. God wants to include all of us into his fold. We're not the ones to determine who belongs in the fold. If we really want to make our country great again, amen? amen. So, brothers and sisters, when we look at this passage, we we see that there's tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. There's tension between a good shepherd and bad shepherds. But when we look at the concept of shepherd, we also got to understand that there are political shepherds. There are educational shepherds. There are religious shepherds. There are all types of shepherds in the text, and there are all types of shepherds in the 21st century, and all of us, the question that we must ask, the, that we must ask ourselves is, where have all the shepherds gone? <laughs> I mean, shepherds who care. Shepherds who not only lead, but feed. Shepherds who are concerned about the humanity of every man, woman, boy, or girl, regardless of their, their sexuality, regardless of their color of their skin. Shepherds who care and embrace all people. So a good shepherd provides, protects. Also a good shepherd makes the sheep his top priority. We see this in the text that it seems as though that Jesus, good shepherd, wakes up in the morning with sheep on his mind, not with money on his mind. He wakes up in the morning with you on his mind with you on his mind. He wakes up in the morning saying how am I going to guide the sheep today? And it's always the desire of the good shepherd to, to guide the sheep into green pastures. And we see here in verses 9 and 10 we see the heart and passion and love of a good shepherd. He says here in verse nine, I am the gate, whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly and have it to the fullest. What a great expression that we see that Jesus wakes up every morning. Jesus says my my intention is to make sure that the sheep know that I care about them. My intention is to make sure that the sheep know that I love them. My intention is to make sure that the sheep realize that I want them to be all that I've called them to be. I'm so glad that we have a sheep who's hands-on, that he cares for us, He wants us to have life and to have it more abundantly. He does not want depression to rob us of life. He does not want anger to rob us of his life-giving presence. He does not want jealousy to rob us of his life-giving presence. He does not want uh, our enemies to distract us. If we keep our eyes on the shepherd, Jesus assumes the responsibility to protect us from him who wants to kill, steal, and destroy Jesus wants us to know that He loves us. He wants us to know that He cares about us. You know, Carl Bart was teaching a class to his theological students one day. He's a theological professor. Carl Bart. One of the students asked him, "What is the most beautiful truth that you've heard studied?" about as you've engaged in theology and wrote all your theology books, Karl Barth looked at the young man and said, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's what the relationship of the shepherd to to his sheep, Jesus, wants us to know that he loves us. He wants us to know that he cares for us. He wants us to know that he's looking out for us, that, that we are the apple of his eye. He wants us to know that he doesn't have any favorites. We're all his favorite. He wants us to know that he loves us, amen? Amen, Amen. let us pray. Father, we thank you for being a good shepherd, a true shepherd. And Lord, we can say with David, say with conviction, yes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Lord, help us to live in light of this truth today that you care for us, that you provide for us, that you protect us, and that that we are your top priority. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.